In his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, author and pastor John Maxwell wrote that, that everything rises and falls on leadership. You probably heard that statement. There's some debate about whether that originated with him or not. And with the internet, right, there's debate about everything. Did Abraham Lincoln really say anything Abraham Lincoln was supposed to have said? On and on and on. But, but, but somebody said it, whether it was Maxwell or not. You've undoubtedly heard it. Everything rises and, and falls on, on leadership. Well, those are words from a human being. That's not truth that comes directly from the, the Bible. So, so I would just ask you, do you agree with that statement? And I think there are some aspects of that that ought to give us a bit of pause. Uh, a bit of pause before we absolutely affirm that, that everything rises and falls on leadership. For example, I have the privilege of, of serving in local churches now, now for many decades, and it would be my, my observation that much of what makes a real difference in churches has very little to do with leaders. It just does. It, it, it's men and women serving behind the scenes whose names may never be known and, and whose actions may never be acknowledged. It says the word everything. I realize Maxwell wrote the book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Lee. I'm kind of giving some gentle refuting. I think that's a bit overstated. Then there's also, is that in line with what Jesus taught about leadership in places like Matthew 20? Do you remember this passage? Then the mothers of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with their sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine, James and John, may, may sit one on your right and one on your left. In other words, I want them to be leaders. But Jesus answered, you, you don't know what, what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we're able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, that's not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it's been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the, the ten, the other disciples, became indignant with the two brothers. And you have to decide, why were they mad? And I've always thought it's probably because they didn't think first to ask their mom to go and make the request. I, I don't know. But, but that's then what led Jesus to go on and say this about leadership. He called them to himself and he said, you know that the, the leaders of the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles, that would be unbelieving people. They lord it over them. That's their leadership. And, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not that way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your, your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is so much of what falls under the heading of leadership today would be labeled by Jesus Gentile-style leadership. That's for those who, who don't know the Lord. That's how they would do it. And by the way, I'm fairly certain that John Maxwell, he's a, a godly pastor. I'm certain that he would agree with that part of it. So, so maybe we need to adjust our statement to say that, that many things rise and fall on leadership. Could you get there in your mind? That many things rise and fall on leadership. And in Christ's church, leaders are called to function quite differently than those who lead in the world apart from the Lord's guidance and direction. I think we would at least be comfortable with that. Now with those caveats and maybe some others that we could mention, I think we would say, well, okay, okay, leadership is important. Leadership is important. And I think when you would say that in your mind, my guess is that you would think back to some reasons in your life why you believe that's true. 
And, and my guess is for different people in this room, some may think about that from a positive perspective where leadership was good and it was helpful. Others might think about it in a negative perspective where it was absent and therefore for chaotic. So, so you might say this morning, yeah, many things rise and fall on leadership. And I remember a time in my life when it wasn't present. And things were so frustrating and, and so wasteful and so unproductive. So, yeah, many things rise and fall on leadership. And I remember a time when it fell. That might be your testimony. And others might say, well, positively, and by God's grace, I was in a situation where the Lord allowed a woman to lead that team or allowed a man to lead that team, and, and that person did it very, very well. And it's amazing how much progress our group, our team made, and the reason was because we were, were led well. It'd be interesting to go around the room and, and just find out examples that you've had of leadership positively and, and negatively and how powerful an impact that's had on your life. Well, why are we even talking about that topic this morning? The answer is this, and I think it's somewhat surprising. In the list of spiritual gifts that God has given to his people that are in turn to be used to be a blessing to the church, one of them is the, the Spirit's gift of leadership. And we're going to turn our attention there this morning. So let me invite you to open your Bible now to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, that's on page 126 of the, the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So Romans chapter 12, or page 126 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. All summer long we've been talking about um, hope for fruitful service. And I hope you have that in your heart this morning. As you think about the fall, I hope you're saying, I, 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 I want to serve God faithfully. I want to serve Him fruitfully. And I've got hope that, that that can happen. So our first series of messages in the first half of the summer, they focused on character. From that marvelous list in 2 Peter 1, 5-7, and we went through each one of them character quality by character quality and really enjoyed that particular part of the study. Well, now we pivoted in the second half of the summer to this discussion of the spiritual gifts. Well... How does that fit into everything logically? One of the primary reasons that we can have hope for fruitful service is the amazingly encouraging truth that God has given each one of His children at least one spiritual gift for the purpose of helping us build up the body of Christ. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one. So if there's been a definite time in your life where you've acknowledged your need for Christ, and you place your faith and trust in Him as Savior and Lord, you're, the, you're in the as each one, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, we pointed out this summer that there's actually several different so-called gift passages in the New Testament that mention some of the spiritual gifts. Now, I said it that way on purpose because as you look at those so-called gift lists in the New Testament, you find out they're not identical. So you have to decide, what are you going to do with that? Why aren't they identical in each place? Some students of the Bible would say this, well, that's because they were never intended to be exhaustive. They were intended to be illustrative. You have to decide what you believe about that. The passage that we've been looking at this summer and the list that we're especially trying to focus on is in the passage I asked you to look at. So you can either read from your own Bible or right here on the screen. But here it is. Since we have gifts that differ, 
By the way, are you glad for that? Are you glad not only that God gave each follower of Jesus Christ at least one spiritual gift, but that we're not all the same? Wouldn't the church be boring if we were all the same? So we need one another and the diversity of gifts that each person brings. Do you agree with that? That would have been a good time for a yes, 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 yes. Even though, do you also understand that it's possible that if we're not thinking carefully, people who are gifted differently than you might actually irritate the fire out of you? Right? Could I get a, mm, mm, that, that might be true here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Because sometimes we do act like the world would be better if everybody was just like me. I'm not saying me, me. I'm saying you, you. Right, right? We sometimes act like, I know you never had that thought about me like once, but, but we act like, a, yeah, no. Since we have gifts that differ, according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. Now, here's what we have this morning, and it's interesting, the, the description. He who leads with, with diligence, he who shows mercy with, with cheerfulness. Well, this morning we have the privilege of working on finding hope in the Spirit's gift of, of leadership. Now, now, let's just talk a little bit about how we're going to try to break this down this morning. We want to be sure that we're mining everything from the Word of God on this particular concept. And there's actually, in addition to Romans 12, there are six other places in the New Testament that use that exact same word. You would be disappointed if you left this message today without having heard what those six other uses are, wouldn't you? Well, I have no intention of disappointing you. And so we're going to talk about those other six places. And I think you're going to see that some of the ways that that same word is used in other passages, it's a bit surprising. And I know that it can be very, very helpful to every one of us. So we're going to mine everything the Word of God says about this for sure. Now, secondly, I'm quite certain that I'm talking to a number of people this morning, you have the Spirit's gift of leadership. I have no doubt that's true of many men and many women who are here this morning. And so we want to teach what the Word of God has to say about it. Why? So you can exercise the gift that God's given you properly. Right? You would not want to have been given a gift by the Holy Spirit of God and squander it, would you? Could I have a mm, 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 that, that'd be like way bad if God gave you the Spirit's gift of leadership and you've got it still, you haven't even unwrapped the thing. The gift is in your closet. I mean, right, you haven't even unwrapped it. You, 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 you don't want to squander it. And, and, and also, what else? You don't want to use it improperly, do you? No, no, we need to get some mm-hmms going on here. No, 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 no. And so we need to know what the Word of God has to say about the, the Spirit's gift of leadership. And then thirdly, we're all called in one way or another to, to follow the various leaders that God has placed in our life. So this isn't just a matter of leading. It's also a matter of following, right? And that can sometimes be difficult. Here's what the, the book of Hebrews said about that. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I hope every person here would say this. I want to bring joy to the various leaders that God has placed in my life. Right? So your professors, you want to bring them joy in the way you follow their leadership. Your boss, you want to bring joy to him or her in the way you, right? I hope you would say that. And I hope you would also say, I don't want to function in a way 
toward their leadership that brings them what? Grief. You, you don't want to be that kind of person, do you? You're kind of quiet here this morning. The answer to that would be no is the answer to, to that question. So we need to know what the Word of God has to say about this, don't we? Absolutely we, we do. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to focus especially on, on just what Romans 12 said. He who leads with, with, with diligence. And we're going to bring these other passages of Scripture and we're going to try to organize this into three ways leaders in Christ's church ought to be diligent. Now, this is probably as good a place as any for us to think about that question. What are the other places in the New Testament where that same word translated leads in Romans 12 is also used? Here, here they are, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, 13. We, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. That's the exact same word. So when we think about leading, it has to include that idea. Have, have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 1 Timothy 3, 4-5. The requirements of pastors. He must be one who, who manages. There's our word again. So when we think about what does it mean to have the gift of leadership, it's got to include managing manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, by the way, let me just point out, some of this may make you uncomfortable. You may say, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. Well, <laughs> I had a theology professor in seminary, John Whitcomb, who used to say, Hark, do I hear a voice from the third heaven saying, Who cares what you like? And that's one of the reasons we come to, to hear the Word of God. And the Word of God oftentimes says things that are different than what we would have thought. Do you understand that's good news? God had said it this way in Isaiah 55. He said, My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you understand that was not a compliment? See, how do you know? Keep reading. Because he went on to say, My, thought, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So if there are some things in the Word of God this morning about the matter of leadership that rub you the wrong way, consider yourself helped by the Word of God today. Right? What's that F-E over F-E out there? Iron sharpens iron. What happens when you rub iron together? There's going to be some sparking. Is that right? There's just going to be some sparking. And there might be some sparking going on in the church house before the hour is over. That's a good thing. That's, that's how we grow. Now, now back to these uses. First uh, Timothy 3.12, deacons, uh, same thing, must be husbands of only one wife and they're good managers. There's leading, again, same word, good managers of their children and of their, their households. Now, First uh, Timothy 5.17, the elders who, who rule, let leaders do that, who rule well are to be considered worthy of, of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. These last couple of uses of the same word are the ones that I think are especially surprising. We'll get to them a bit later. This is in Titus. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, Paul's telling Titus, so that those who have believed God, here it is, that leading includes this, will be careful to engage in good deeds, these things are good and profitable for men. And he says it again at the end of the book. Our people must, here's what leadership, same word. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Now, now with those uses of that word in mind, let's think about three ways that leaders in Christ's church have to be diligent. 
starts right here, be diligent to follow the Lord's leadership. Now, now we all have to decide what kind of leaders we want to be if we have that gift. And we all have to decide what kind of leaders we want to follow. There's a phrase in 1 Thessalonians 5 that can really help us. Do you see it again? And have charge over you, what? In the Lord. If you've been given that gift of leadership, it's key that you're first following the leadership of your God. It's the in the Lord part. And what that means is godly leaders are never an end in themselves. Godly leaders are always to be submissive to the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what submits somebody else to follow such a leader is because they know that in so doing, they're ultimately being helped to follow their Lord and Savior. So so you could say this, the, the, the person who has the human gift of leadership is simply an intermediary because that leader is submitting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and anybody who follows them is going to be on that exact same trajectory. And if God has given you the Spirit's gift of leadership, part of the question is, well, are you, as you lead, living in a way that is submissive yourself to the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, let's just push the pause button on that because I do think that raises a very important question in this culture or any culture. And that is, do you have any place in your life for leadership in any way, shape, or form? Think about that. Now, don't, don't answer that in, in, um, in just a fuzzy, ethereal way. Think about the leadership that God has placed in your life right now and the way you tend to respond to that leadership in your life right now. And I'm just asking you straight up. Do you have a place in your heart and life for any leadership in any way, shape, or form? Or have you bought into the Invictus mentality? You remember that poem? They often drag this one out during high school graduation where you're the, the master of your fate. Nobody's going to lead you. You're, you're the master of your fate. And what else? You're the captain. Congratulations. You're the, you're the captain of your, your soul. You may remember the old hymn sung to the Lord Jesus Christ, King of my life, I crown thee now. That's a whole lot different than Invictus. King of my life, I crown thee. You're in charge. You're the leader that I'm going to joyfully follow. I really think there are people in our culture who, if you're going to make it honest, it would have to be King of my life, I crown me now crown me now. And if that's the case, if you don't have any place for leadership in your heart and life, it's highly unlikely that you'll ever be pleased with any human leader because you've not really settled the question of whether you want a divine one. And this is foundational to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way to the Romans. He said, if you confess with your mouth, what? What are the next words? Jesus says, Santa Claus, he exists to give me what I already want. Because I, I remember, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. So I got a Savior, so he's kind of like a vending machine. I pull his lever whenever I want him to give me what I already think I want or need. No, it's a whole lot different, isn't it? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The, the hymn writer said it like this, I sought a flag to follow. Everybody does. A cause for which to stand. I I sought a valiant leader who could my will command. I I found them all in Jesus. 
the life, the truth, the way. Beneath his flag, I'll take my stand and follow him today. And I would just ask you this morning, is that your testimony? And if not, we would invite you. That, that's a decision that is made at a point in time. That's what it means to become a Christian. That's what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ, where we acknowledge I cannot work my way to heaven on my own. I can't be the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. I need a Savior and I need a Lord. And I'm choosing to make Jesus Christ, God's own Son, that person. And I hope you have. And if you're not sure about that, I hope you'll talk to one of our pastors or somebody else around here that can help you see from the Word of God how to make that decision. Because, listen, you can't properly exercise the gift of leadership, at least not in a way that's going to honor Him. And you can't follow those who have been given that gift well until you've first done business with whether or not you have a proper place for submission in your heart and life in the ultimate sense. In the ultimate sense. Now, now what about a person who would say, well, here's the problem, Pastor Byers. It's the, the imperfection of the leaders that God has placed in my life. I would do a better job of following if they'd do a better job of leading. Oh, so, so are you saying that, that if human beings were born in a perfect environment with a perfect leader, with perfect rules and expectations, in fact, just one, that such a person would naturally and joyfully follow? Is that what you're saying? And you know where that's going, right? This has been a struggle, that is, submitting to leadership that began in the Garden of Eden. How, uh, of what quality was the environment in which they were placed? Right, perfect. Who was their leader? God himself. How many rules did they have? One. How long did it take them to break it? Not long. And by the way, don't say, well, if I had been there, I would have obeyed. Here's the difference between you and Adam and Eve. If you had been there, you would have disobeyed sooner. I mean, that, that's all you got. Yeah, that's, that's all you got. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? I gave you one command. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Friends, is there a lesson there? There's a stream of rebellion that runs in all of our hearts. Is that true? There is a stream of rebellion that runs in all of our hearts unless we seek to address it in the power of Jesus Christ. And you can't follow somebody else's leadership unless you're willing to follow his. In fact, I would just ask you to evaluate yourself over the last week or the last month or the last summer. How are you doing on the matter of joyfully following the leadership that God has placed in your life? Now, somebody else might say, but following imperfect leadership is hard. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. And we could ask ourselves, why did God allow it to be that way? He knew that we were going to have imperfect leadership to follow on this earth. Maybe, maybe it's kind of the same lesson as Tuffy Fuller. It just makes us long for heaven. The day when we will have a, a perfect leader you remember what Isaiah said about the Messiah? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. This is the kind of leader we'll eventually have. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. Think about the upcoming political election. You excited about another election season? Boy, that's going to be fun, huh? <laughs> my. No, he'll bring forth justice to the nations. He'll not cry out. He'll not raise his voice. He'll not make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he'll not break. A dimly burning wick he'll not extinguish. He'll faithfully bring forth justice. 
He'll not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. Aren't you longing for that day? And as we struggle with imperfect leaders, doesn't it cause us to long for heaven? It should. And to some degree, though, it can be a present reality if we allow it to be. I mean, so how so? How so? Well, think about this. If God's given you the spiritual gift of leadership, again, I'm sure that he's given that to many people in this room, are you exercising it in a way that is first submissive to Jesus Christ? You know, one of the lessons that I learned very early in ministry is you can tell a lot about a person by giving them some authority. It's really interesting to see what some people do with that. Just give them a job, give them some authority, and see what they do with it. And you're going to find out really quickly whether that, that person is first being diligent to submit themselves to the leadership of Jesus Christ, and that affects the way they lead others. For others, they're not. And even in a church, they can get on a power trip really quickly and lead in all sorts of ways that are not honoring to the Lord. Thank the Lord for the many who say, and it, it just, it's proven, they exercise their leadership around here in a way that shows they're first diligent to follow the leadership of Christ. Then I would also ask you this, if you're struggling to follow the leadership that God has placed in your life, is it possible that you don't have a human leader problem? Is it possible that you have a divine leader problem? And in this rebellious culture in which we live, I think it's good for us to be reminded God's the one who ordained authority. God's the one who ordained leadership. God's the one who's ordained submission. And I can tell you this, when a group of people are choosing to live in a way that is consistent with their God-given roles, in the strength and the principles of God who provided it, the result can be a beautiful thing. So be diligent to follow the Lord's leadership. Now, now let's pivot. Let, let's talk about what does a leader actually do? And so some of these verses that we saw a moment ago can help us. Manages his own household. We saw that twice in that verse. Uh, then uh, 1 Timothy 3.12, good managers of their children in their own households. The elders who rule well, well, what's that teach us? We have to be diligent to, to organize and manage. So you can tell if a person has the gift if they have the ability to organize projects and the willingness to manage people. That's it. You can tell whether or not a a person has a spiritual gift of leadership. Do do they have the ability to organize projects? Do they have the willingness to manage people? That's a gift that the Spirit of God gives to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, it starts with this. It starts by understanding the goal. We're not talking about organization without a, a purpose. So this isn't accomplishing tasks together with no purpose. No, no, we're talking about accomplishing tasks together that can draw people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and help everybody involved become more like Christ in the process. That's where this passage fits in so well. We proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man. A a godly leader has that as the objective. So I'm saying it's organization with a purpose. It's one of the things I love about just being associated with our church. There are so many women and so many men who have the Spirit's gift of leadership, but they use it in a purposeful fashion. It's organization, it's management with a purpose. One example would be Matt and Nadia Beckler. 
Matt and Nadia um, lead Christmas for Everyone, along with a number of other people that lead on that team. That's a very, very important ministry. Because I hope you would say this, I hope you would say, we don't want anybody in our town on Christmas morning to not have any presents to give to their children or not have any food to eat for Christmas dinner um, if we can possibly help that. I know for me, our family's always thought this, we don't want to sit down to some meal or sit down to some uh, exchange of presents unless we've tried to do something to ensure that other people in our town have that blessing as well in their families. And so that's what Christmas for Everyone is all about. It's a ministry with a number of other churches that serves um, families in need in our town, providing food and, and presents at Christmas time if they're struggling financially. Matt is a um, teacher over at Lafayette Jeff. Matt has the gift of leadership. Nadia, his wife, have the gift of leadership. They are, they are incredible at organizing that. Because if you're going to ask people, what are your gift requests, when they come that day, you better have gotten it right. right. So the whole issue of organization, the whole issue of management is so very, very important. But what I love about it is it's organization, it's management with a purpose. So they want the gospel to be out front and center in the way our guests are treated the way Bibles and other spiritual literature is available for anybody who wants them, the way we're willing to pray and follow up with those who come, and also in the way each one of the volunteers are trained and each one the way that they're treated while they're serving. Why? Why is that? Go back to the passage in Colossians. Every person, either one of the guests or one of the servants, is either going to come to Christ if they haven't already or they're going to be more like Christ as a Christian serving in that ministry. Why? Because the leaders have their eye on the goal. We're talking about organization, but with a purpose. And everybody would also say this. When you're following a leader like that, a leader who has a purpose, it's delightful. And ultimately, we would say this. That's because of the gift of the Holy Spirit to this church. And I have the privilege many times of going around to our distribution. I love that. Just going around to the distribution sites. And it's amazing uh, because we're, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of, of green bags. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of gifts that have been um, purchased. It's amazing how when the day is over, everybody who came got their gifts. And they got the right gift. Or if there was something that didn't work out just right, there was a process in place to serve them and serve them well. What is that? It's organization, it's management with a purpose. That's the Holy Spirit of God giving those people that gift. Now, now what else do we see from the, these passages? There's also, there has to be a willingness to be out front, right? You, you can't lead somebody else to a place that you've not been. Somebody has to go first. Somebody else has to get out ahead of everybody else. We're getting ready, Lord willing, to celebrate the 33rd or to have the 33rd living nativity at our church. For some reason, I've got Christmas on the mind, my mind this morning. But um, 33rd, it's an amazing ministry. In fact, we would estimate that by now um, over a quarter of a million people have been through the living nativity. It's been a marvelous, marvelous ministry for sure. The way that we found out about it was we were doing some training, some biblical counseling training down in Slidell, Louisiana, which is down near New Orleans. They were telling us about this ministry they did at Christmas time, an outdoor evangelistic program called the Living Nativity. We were so interested in that 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 Christmas we flew down to see it. So Pastor Good, our former senior pastor, myself, and Arvid Olson, a longtime member who has a master's degree in theatrical design, we flew down to see that ministry with the thought of bringing it back to Lafayette. 
I'm not sure we thought carefully enough about the difference between them having an outdoor evangelistic ministry at Christmas time in New Orleans and us having it in Lafayette, Indiana. We didn't think that one through very carefully. But we brought that idea back to our church family. And that's back 33 years ago. Our church was a lot smaller then. And we brought it back to our church family and talked about how much it would cost to build all these sets for a living nativity, how much time it would take. And I'll tell you, our church family overwhelmingly approved. We got to do that. We want to do that. So then we had a year. We had a year to build all of the sets, do all the organizational work required to make it happen. And what that meant was many Thursday nights we were out at the barn. And the barn was a building that we used to have out of Faith East that we've subsequently had to tear down because of some construction we were doing. But everybody would meet out at the barn, and Arvid Olson would be there, and he would have these four-by-eight sheets of plywood along with an overhead projector. Now, I know some of you have no idea what an overhead projector is. Google it, all right? But, but he, would, he would have this overhead projector, and he would project on these four-by-eight sheets of plywood, and you would have to draw whatever the shape was that was being projected, and then you would have to paint those different shapes, all kinds of wild colors. And you really had, like, what am I painting right now, and what in the world is this going to be? Nobody knew except Arvid Olson. Arvid Olson knew, and it came to the setup day, right before the first living nativity. And this wall for Bethlehem, one of the scenes, was going to be 70 feet long and 24 feet high. To give you perspective, that's higher than that wall right there. That wall right there is 21 feet tall, and it's almost as long. So we're talking about a huge set. And when we put it all together, here's what it looked like. It was absolutely beautiful. It was absolutely stunning. But each one of those, those are four by eight sheets of plywood. You had no idea. You had no, I'm, I'm, I'm painting an arch right now. I'm painting a window right now. I'm painting a wall right now. But when it was all together, it was absolutely gorgeous. Why? Because God gave Arvid Olson the gift of leadership. He had to go first. He had to figure it all out. And listen, Arvid Olson, I mean, I love Arvid. He's a gift from the Holy Spirit to this church. And this church is better because he's been willing to lead. Now let's back up for a minute and let's ask this question. Why is, what is unique about a church where we especially need leaders? That's an important question. You need leaders everywhere, but why is a church especially in need of leaders? I think there's several reasons. One of them is this. It's because of the centrality of our mission. Right? We're not making widgets here. It's not like we need some leaders so we can make some widgets. Or we need some leaders so we can make some money. Or we need some leaders so we can make a name for ourselves. No, 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 no. We're talking about uh, the privilege of, of evangelism. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is what the church is to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's nothing more important than that. Which is why if God has given you the Spirit's gift of, of leadership, I hope that you'll find a way to use that gift in the accomplishment of our church's mission while you're here. And I realize you might say, hey, I'm a college student. I, I'm busy. Let, let me tell you something. I understand busy. I understand what it was like when I was in college. But um, you'll have time. You'll find time to do the things that are especially important to you. That's just the way it works. And I hope you won't say, well, I'll serve God later. If God's given you the gift of leadership, I, I, listen, we want you to pass your classes. 
We want you to have your priorities in place, but I hope you'll have a place in your heart for serving Christ because of the importance of our mission. Why else do we need leaders? It's because of the diversity of the body. Paul spoke to the Ephesians about bringing two groups together into one. In that context, it was Jews and Gentiles. See, think about why are leaders needed in a church? It'd be one thing if we were a group of people where everybody was similar, similar in age, similar in background, similar in ethnicity, similar in economic condition, viewpoints, etc. A church is anything but that. And if a church like ours, or any church, is going to accomplish anything that matters with this level of diversity, it's going to require spirit-gifted leaders, men and women who are able to guide us. Also because of the power and the beauty of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. This passage guides us. It drives us. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. We're leading people to do the, the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. And here's a pastor's dream right here. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And you know, faith has 175 employees. We do. But we hire as a last resort. Why? Because we think it's our goal to have volunteers who, who want to joyfully be equipped and joyfully be deployed into effective serving opportunities. So we're not just an army, we're a volunteer army, but it's amazing how much work gets done around our church because of godly people. Now, one last emphasis that comes out of these, and maybe this surprised you when I mentioned these verses, but we're also to be diligent to guide followers in doing good. And we're taking that from these two uses in the book of Titus. Titus was called the minister on the Isle of Crete. Crete was a very difficult place to minister. In fact, Paul said it. Their own prophets say Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. In other words, it's a really hard place to serve. And yet, what were the leaders to do? Lead the church to identify needs that exist in that culture. And then, in the power and love of Christ, meet them. And so having leaders who are focused in that way is especially important in this culture. And you might say, what, what are some specific ways that we could do that? Let me just mention a couple as we close. One of them would be considering serving down at the Hartford Hub. We had the opportunity several years ago to buy that building. That's the old Cooler Keg Bar. You might recognize it. That's between 6th and 7th Street on Hartford. The city owned that building. They offered to sell it to us for a dollar. I've always believed the church ought to own a bar, don't you? And so we bought the Cooler Keg Bar for a dollar. And frankly, we overpaid. That building was one hot mess. There were rats in the basement of that building the size of my shoe. And so we bought that building, and we very quickly tore it down. And with some help from the city and from SIA, from our church family, we built a uh, park on the other side. And then we built this little building, the Hartford Hub, just a neighborhood um, pocket community center. And we have young people who come there after school and on the weekends, and we just love the fire out of them. Uh, we help them with their homework. We get to know them. And 82% um, of the kids in that area um, are from single-parent homes. And, and it's amazing. God is doing some great things right now at the Hartford Hub. We have the opportunity of serving some really precious young people and their families. 
but that would be a way your leaders are providing that kind of community outreach. And if you would like to serve at the Hartford Hub, you could volunteer down there. We need you. There's great ministry to be done there. You could talk to one of your service pastors, and they could get you plugged in right away. Another way is with our CDC, our Community Development Corporation. That's a long story, too. The short version of it is we buy distressed housing, renovate it, and make it available to low- to moderate-income buyers. That's part of how you transform a community. Pastor Ross Reeder leads that CDC, and he's doing a great job. But they're constantly in need of more and more volunteers. And if you would like to volunteer in that way, um, please see Ross, and he would be more than happy um, to get you plugged into that. Why? Why? Well, those leaders are trying to help us shine the light on the beauty of the gospel. And that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. How are we going to get there? We've got to have leaders who aren't just leading us to be insular. What are all the needs inside the church family? And let's just marshal our resources to serve that. Now let's talk about getting outside of ourselves. What are the needs that exist in this community, and how can we marshal our resources in order to serve them as well? Well, to do it, we have to have leaders who have been gifted to us by the Holy Spirit of God, and we have to have men and women who are willing to joyfully follow them. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for these different spiritual gifts, and we thank you for loving us so much that you have given us many women, many men, who have this particular gift of leadership. And Lord, for those who are being diligent in the way they're exercising it right here in this church family, I thank you for them. And Lord, for those who have the gift and need to work better at deploying it, I pray that this message would motivate them to do it. Lord, for all of us, we struggle with following leadership. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to consider um, how leadership and authority is ordained of you. And I thank you for the many in this church family. That's just the way they think about life. And thank you for so many who are such a joy to lead. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.